Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. As always, and before I introduce my next guest, I'd like to start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to remind and continue to encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd very much appreciate it if you were to share the show with your friends, your family. People you know, people you don't know. Anyways, rate the show, comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And as well, why not follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page? So thanks again for the feedback that you provide the team and I. It is sincerely appreciated. So let's get this show started, shall we? Today is part of the RAIN member series. If you recall, I've talked about, you know, having RAIN members on a regular basis to share in their journey as real estate investors and what they're up to and how that's going. And today I'm joined by a veteran real estate investor and RAIN member, gentleman by the name of Dave Toynbee. Let me get started by just giving you a little bit of an introduction and background to Dave. He's really a well-known Vancouver Rain member who's shared some of his life's journey and his story with a number of real estate investment magazines, the Globe and Mail, and he's actually on occasion been on the Rain stage. Now, Dave has encountered and conquered more than his fair share of adversities in his life to date and is a true testament from my perspective to what it means to overcome obstacles. Now, he begins with it all with a limited physical capacity and no job. This was, you know, when he was younger and he's now grown his portfolio significantly since his first property back in 2003. And this is all the while working through the physical challenges that he has, working a full-time job in the commercial building automation industry and being a family-oriented husband and father of two toddlers. So leveraging the support of the RAIN community and using a range of strategies and tactics, Dave's just really managed to acquire a portfolio of real estate that includes single family and multi-residential properties. And he's combined that with commercial deals. Through all of this, Dave's gained just a vast amount of real estate investment knowledge and expertise. And he continues to use that to grow his portfolio and develop strong relationships with key partners in the industry. Today, I am going to dig a little deeper in 
how Dave, a seemingly ordinary everyday guy, has achieved some pretty extraordinary result. So let's get this show started and welcome Dave Toynbee. Dave Toynbee, welcome to this episode of The Everyday Millionaire. Happy to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time to uh, join me today. Welcome. Thanks, Patrick. Good to be here. Now, Dave, you know, this is part of my, you know, what we call the Everyday Millionaire Rain member series. And you've been a Rain member for a long time. When did you join Rain? 2006. So you've been right in that a dozen years now. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. And what's interesting about your story is that you have an interesting story. I mean, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show is that you really are a, I don't know, I, I, I sometimes want to say you're a poster child for what RAIN members can be, who they can become, and certainly how you've faced some of the adversity that you've had. That's what I want to talk about. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you about today. And so why don't we go back, you know, let's kick off right away and get down and get dirty. Let's get right back to 2006 and how you found rain, what it was for you to say, holy cow, real estate's my path, and I want to be part of rain to get there. Well, there's kind of a foundational story that leads up to that, that I think's worthy of bringing up to see the the perspective and how I got there. So I grew up on the Sunshine Coast in Seashelton, typical middle-class family. Things are going really well in my 20s. I went to college, got a got a really good job. Everything's coasting along until one night I had an incident where uh, I ended up paralyzed on half my body from a head injury. And I didn't really know the extent of that until I was in GF Strong a couple weeks later after I woke up from a coma. And uh, from that point on, they told us all about the brain injury and what that meant for our life, basically saying, you know, all the things that you hoped and dreamed of in the future are likely no longer. You'll have to re redefine that and uh, choose another path. So at that point, I was really, it just became, uh, I think, a desperate search for any need of opportunity in there. And how am I going to deal with this? And am, am I, am I going to become the victim? Like they kind of perpetrated was almost the better and realistic way to go at the time. or you know, do I take the harder route and use this as an opportunity to potentially inspire others and still, you know, get the life that I still wanted? Because obviously it didn't change in that couple days to me. So. Well, stop, just let me interrupt one thing, and, and I, because I don't want to step over. We all start to learn as we get older, of course, is that life is pretty fragile. And for you as a, you know, 20 something year old, you know, the incident that caused the paralysis, although we don't have to dwell on it. Give our listeners a bit of a background on just what exactly happened. Okay, so I, I went up to Kamloops. My brother was living in Kamloops for going to school at the university up there. And so my, my mother and my mom and dad and myself at the time went up there for, for Easter. I think it was March 25th of 2005. I was 25 years old. And we went up there for an Easter dinner because my brother couldn't afford to come down to the coast. And uh, at, at, after our dinner, my brother and I, one of his buddies from college, went out to a to a club out in Kamloops, and we got our drink on and did our dancing and stuff like that. At the end of the night, we went to hop in a cab, and uh, some guys, we hopped in, and some guys said, oh, that was our cab, and 
I guess my brother's buddy that was uh, eating a hot dog from a street vendor flicked a piece of hot dog at the cab as it was driving off, and the guys hopped out and started running after him. And I shuffled over to stop a guy. My brother grabbed the other guy, and I guess from what I'm told, the third guy came from behind me, hit me in the back of the head, and I just fell straight down, hit my head on the concrete. Simple thing, and uh, ended up with uh, with a brain bleed, and I guess the the hospitals in the interior at the time were all full. They didn't have any beds. So I had to end up getting flown to VGH. And then I got immediate, uh, emergency brain surgery from there to relieve the swelling. And I was in a coma for about a week at that point. So that's kind of what led me to GF Strong a few weeks later. I think it's just a great example. And it's one of those stories that really illustrates that, for me anyways, that life can just change in an instant. And, and that's what what happened in your case. Now you came ahead, you kind of come to, you get an idea from the doctors, what's going on with the brain injury. And you're feeling that I'm sure the doctors are just trying to be, have some compassion and empathy, but it shows up to you as if, holy cow, I'm a victim to this. And in somewhere in your brain, you're going, okay, I've got to not be a victim to this. So am I picking up the story kind of from where we were at? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, yeah, that, your comment about just how fragile life can be. You know, I was so unaware of that up to this point, right? I'd had, well, except for my first perspective was that that year uh, or the year before this, uh, my first friend was killed in a car accident, which kind of showed that, you know, we're no longer invincible and this can really happen and life is fragile. But to me, everything had been coasting along really easily and well. And I attracted things pretty easy in my life and never really had any adversities. And I just kind of always believed it would be that way. So all of a sudden you're in this situation going, wow, like, is this really real? Like it takes a while to actually comprehend it. And in that moment, you know, the first couple of weeks in the hospital, I really knew, didn't know what was going on at all. I'm sure a lot of it, the symptoms of the, the brain injury itself, they said I was, you had a head injury and I'm like, okay, well, why can't I move my left side? Like what's going on there? I didn't. I guess that's the thing that your parents tell you when, you know, to wear a helmet, this so-called injury that you could have. I didn't really know what that meant. But, uh, you know, and all of a sudden when I was in GF Strong and the doctors portrayed the, you know, the severity of, of a brain injury and what it meant to us in terms of our life and our plans, that was devastating to say the least. But, you know, I, I immediately luckily went to, you know, where's, where's the opportunity in this? And I searched for what felt like a year over the course of the next hour or two while I got pushed back into my room in the wheelchair. And then at that point, all of my family and friends that had been there and, you know, that supported me and I was so heavily reliant on, um, they all left back to their, soon after that, I think it was within a couple hours, they they all went back to their normal lives. And, and I was kind of sitting there in my thoughts in this room going, hey, am I going to is this the way it's really going to believe or are these guys, is this BS? Can I prove them wrong? I had fortunately or unfortunately had a really large ego still at the time. Um, so that helped both drive, drive me to believe there was a way out and I could do it myself, but maybe it could be a stumbling block in some other situations, but you know, that was the search at that point. And so you're in the hospital, people go back to their lives. You're feeling, I'm sure, quite alone, although I, I know your family was there for you along the way. And 
at some point, if I recall the story, you got home and you were going, what the heck am I going to do with my life? And you had come across the book, Real Estate Investing in Canada, that Don Campbell had written, and you picked that up. Is that is that where we can pick up the story? Well, I'll, I'll still jump back a little bit more because there's sure. an interesting kind of component there that I think is a good lesson for other people that I learned was uh, that same day. So I, I went out for a bit. I, I came back to the room. I went out for a bit again pushing it around the hospital. And then uh, when I came back to the room, there was a, I was put in there with a roommate, another 18 year old kid who had had a similar, similar accident and brain injury. And there was this older guy who was about, you know, a six foot two gray, white haired guy hover, you know, standing over this, this other kid. Um, and he was doing, when I, when I came in, he started explaining what he was doing. He was doing something called Reiki. And I'd never heard of Reiki before, and he, and he, and he went on to say to say what he was doing. He goes, you know, I'm I'm the conduit from of energy, and you know, this it can only be used for good healing power, and so on. And all I'm thinking is, what is this hippie crap? This is BS. And either way, he's going on with it, and he started, you know, at, at the same time, I still have this thought on where's this opportunity right in my head that this seed that I can change things. And he started going on about. He said, you know, I really look fondly upon your guys' situation here. You know, you have a real opportunity that most people don't ever get in their life, an opportunity. You know, you hit a wall and you get to reflect on what you've been doing, the choices you've been making, and really drop your ego and make a new path and move forward. He talked a lot more about ego. I can't remember the specifics, but it was about dropping and stuff. And all the while he's talking about this and I didn't recognize it as this opportunity that I was looking for, right. That I was basically praying for only an hour before that. And, uh, all I'm thinking is my ego is going, what the hell is this? This is BS. I don't, this is such crap. What a hippie, you know, like that, that was, that's kind of what was going through my head. I never heard anything like this. So he offered at the time to do Reiki on me. He goes, you can just sit in your chair. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to think anything. Just accept, you know, just, just don't do anything. I said, okay, yeah, sure, sounds good, we'll do that. And he he started doing his Reiki over me, and not only was I just not doing it, I was consciously, you know, fighting it, I would say. That evening, afterwards, when I was reflecting on the day of being told this news and not being able to find any positive in it at all, and then reflecting on what this guy had said that I had denied at the time, and my parents and friends leaving, I was going, well, you know what, it, it just occurred to me that Maybe there was some potential truth to this, what this guy had to say. And uh, the biggest thing, though, that made me recognize was here are all my friends and family looking to support me. And I'm not any good sitting in a wheelchair being a victim. How am I ever going to re repay them back for you know, anything in the future from this situation? So I need to get past that. And how much of an idiot would I feel like if I told them that you know, there was a potential for, for healing and getting past this? All I had to do is believe or accept, but I I put the block to it. Like, how much of an idiot would you feel like had that, you know, actually been the cure? So that was kind of the start of, at that moment, you know, I just decided that I will never, given the opportunity, I will never not accept something just because of my limited beliefs or my ego or whatever it was. So I made a conscious decision at that point to just be more open to things because the doctors already said they couldn't be all wrong. They've been doing this for years, right? So, you know, maybe I, I just decided I had to be more open to this. So 
I, I was at GF Strong for a few more months. They tried to kick me out at one point because I guess I was doing better than the average person or whatever, and I, I refused to leave. Um, I stayed for another month until I was able to walk out on my own, at least wobbling with a cane because that was my goal. Um, and then, then I ended up back home with my parents. So prior, I'd lived in a condo in Surrey that I had purchased in 2002. So I, I gave that up. I had some roommates at the time, so they were like able to carry on with that. And I went back in, moved, moved in. So now at the age of 25, I lost my job, lost my driver's license, had to move back in with my parents. You know, all the things, no hockey, no kickboxing, snowboarding, water skiing, tennis, all the things that I was into at that point was kind of the core desire of and push for my life. So all those, that was a hard thing in trying to get over. Like when the doctors were saying, you know, you, you may have wanted to be a doctor, be an athlete, this or that, that's not going to happen. I had a really tough time, you know, giving up my my sports and my thoughts that I'm ever going to be able to do that again. Now I'm at home and uh, I, I was just doing my rehab. My whole life was centric now around around rehab and getting better. So I was doing stretches and I'd, you know, I'd try and walk two feet and then the next day would be three four five six you know a kilometer and i just kept incrementally taking small steps to get towards what i wanted to do my most important thing was to get up walking functionally first um, i had no use of my left hand either that kind of became a secondary to walking because it's so easily easy you can so easily just adapt with another hand just just to slow down a little bit on this dave so you're you're at home, you've got your injury, you're going through your rehab, you're dealing with all the things that you're dealing with. You've got the good fortune of being able to move back home. I, I mean, as tough as that is for a 25-year-old to do and have to get back under the care of their parents, you did that. And so your parents are supportive through this process and and you're doing what you're having to do and rehab's coming along. And are you starting to notice the shift in, are you starting to see yourself differently in terms of how you're thinking? And that was your primary focus, but where was the brain, was the brain injury strictly a physical thing or were you also dealing with perhaps depression or other uh, neurological symptoms beyond just the physicalness of it? Like were your thinking patterns different? Did you notice a shift in personality, character, those kinds of things? Um, well, my injury was was to my right temporal lobe which anybody who knows about the neuroanatomy will know right off the bat kind of what that means. But uh, I'm not going to get into it too much. But most, most of mine was, was physical paralysis. But at the very beginning, they were doing some tests at, at VGH. I remember one point they said, draw a house. And I, didn't, I, didn't, I thought I was fine. <laughs> and they said, okay, draw a house. And I'm just like, how stupid is this? I'm fine, you know, is what I'm thinking. And I went to draw a house, and I don't recognize it, but I know my brother told me afterwards that, you know, it scared the crap out of him because, you know, this house was like a couple scribbles on the paper, and I insisted that that was a house, you know. So obviously, I was dealing with some deficits that I can't even really fully explain today because I thought I was fine and I couldn't see or there was a lot of cognitive issues I could at the, I at the time. Say. Yeah, so it, it, it all made sense to you in terms of drawing a house but that's not how it showed up. And so there was that part yeah. of it. Okay, so you're back into the physical side of it, uh, understood. So you're you're going through your rehab, you're at home living at your parents, and let's just carry on. 
Yeah. So the rehab consisted of both cognitive. I really couldn't see anything. My brain wouldn't recognize anything in my left visual field. So pretty much straight down the center of my body, the left, I couldn't really see any, my eyes would work, but my brain wouldn't recognize it. So they actually first had to prove the occupational therapist that that was an issue to me before I would move forward with fixing it. Cause I didn't believe it was, it was the truth. That's how kind of messed up things were. And my ego was still a little bit intact. there, still like, I'm fine. Get out of the way. I'm an engineer. You're an idiot. Move on. <laughs> was kind of my thought. But so all the while I'm doing that and, uh, still haven't really found how I'm going to get past this or any positive in it whatsoever, but I'm a lot more aware of my uh, thoughts. Like one thing, I don't know where it came from. I think I was kind of just fortunate to recognize or um, I became very analytical in, in those times. Like when you, when you have a brain injury on your right hand side, your right hand side tends to be of your brain tends to be more of the spiritual side, the living in the here and the now and the artistic and the left side's more analytical and, planning and learning from past mistakes and so on. So the energy in my brain kind of all went to your energy doesn't disappear, you know, cannot be destroyed. So it all went to kind of my left hand side of the, my brain, which during that time was now like an analytical superpower in comparison, but I had no artistic, I had very little emotions going through this, which kind of served in a lot of ways. I didn't get caught up in the depression or anything like that because I just looked at what you know when an opportunity came up i just became very aware of my thoughts anytime something would come about i would go i would just ask myself what would i have done in the past did that serve me with the result that i got if it did then then do that again if it didn't then rechoose another way and that became so so obvious and everything just became very digital to me you know binary black and white on off left right up down i struggle with that a little bit in some of my relationships because you know, there's a lot of gray for everybody else, especially the the girl that I was dating at the time. You know, she had a problem. I said, you need you need to fix it black, white, you know, and she's like, no, Dave, there's gray. It doesn't work that way. I know you think that way, but, you know, it's not not always the case. So uh, anyway, things became very black and white. And uh, I picked up this the real estate book. So I was sitting at home one day. Parents, I was sitting on a chair having a coffee in the morning and I looked over on the coffee table next to me and there was a real estate book there it was actually uh Dolph DeRusse's book called Real Estate Riches not Don's oh got it but uh but that's okay it led to Don's anyway but uh, I picked up this I went oh a real estate book I've, I've always been interested in real estate I had dabbled in interest prior to my accident and was you know I never really took any action aside from looking at places but I picked up this book and I read it from from cover to cover and right away this this was just this was a huge pivotal moment for me because, well, for one, I never actually read an entire novel on my own or book in my entire life. I pretty well, I had good systems and stuff for almost cheating my way through high school and college and stuff. It felt like, um, you know, I learned to pass tests and stuff, but how much of that information I absorbed is questionable. And, uh, you know, um, so, so it was pretty huge to me that I, I was able to read this book and other huge thing about it was I couldn't really read after my accident, not very well anyway. So when I was doing tests, like I could read a couple paragraphs, Mary had a little lamb and this and that, but uh, you know, it was huge that I was able to read this book for the first time in my life and after my accident. So I was super excited about that. And beyond that, it was totally irrelevant and it provided an opportunity that 
you know, real estate. Holy, like I can do this without anybody else getting in my way of stop. I can, you know, I can't just go back to my old engineering job and work as an engineer on my choice because there's bosses and there's people that may obstruct me from doing that. But real estate, all of a sudden, this is something that anybody can do right off the bat. There's nobody that's going to stop you. After that first one, I just, I, I became obsessed. And like, I started having visions of the future and I was the first real excitement that I had. So I picked up over the course of the next few months, I just got every possible book that I could. And I read it. I'd, I'd wake up at sometimes three or four in the morning and I would just read for the entire day, how, how many I could get. And then it turned into business books and accounting books. And I started developing a spreadsheet on Excel with all that was kind of my notes of all the books. And I kept building and building on all the notes. I created an analysis sheet and all my notes were built in this thing, how I deal with my future bookkeeping. I started creating a folder structure. This is the analytical brain just going heavy for this 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 future that I was going to create at the time. And and then I, I took things very, you know, if I read it, that's if if it made sense, I would just question, does this make sense to me? Yes, it does. Then I would just go and do it. So now you were keeping notes, you know, on on the books you're reading and stuff that you're picking up on. But overall, Dave, with the brain injury, was the retention of what you were reading pretty strong back then as well, aside from the notes? Yeah, actually, it was really strong. I would say it's actually probably stronger than today, which I attribute to having a little bit more energy on the my left side of my brain versus my right. Right. Um. So I was totally fortunate in that sense. It played right along with real estate. Just interesting that, you know, the, the, a brain injury recalibrates your brain and almost shows up as a benefit to being a, a great real estate investor, at least in terms of analysis and learning and going through the process of building a portfolio. So uh, it's just interesting how life's curveballs that get thrown sometimes take us on a different path, on a different journey and how it shows up. Yeah. And, and I had no realization that looking back now and and the research and studies I've done on the brain, you know, I've learned that that actually makes logical sense what I was going through. But if I met someone now that had a similar brain injury, you know, I could probably step in and then, you know, help them a lot more. They, they could realize their, their power in that opportunity that they, you know, pr they might miss out on. And if they don't jump on it in that first year or so. So can I go back, you know, because this is really, for me, a pretty fascinating conversation in terms of this is how you were like, if you go back to 25 and 20 and, and I get that, you know, we were growing, you know, you're growing up, you're maturing and gosh, you know, studies show that guys brains don't even develop till they're 25 really. But how were you in terms of, did you notice that there was a big shift in just how you viewed the world overall in terms of your attitude, your mindset, had it, was there a big shift from when you were younger given your upbringing and how you were and what you believed at the time, did that start to, did you notice it? Or is that in, I guess in reflection, you might, might be able to see it. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I had a really tough time going through that, that process identifying. I still do sometimes identifying what part of this is just me getting older and having more wisdom. And what part of this is the brain injury and, you know, the lessons learned around that or an issue with my brain, you know? So, so that it's just, it's just, just an interesting, I guess I, I don't want to take it down a rabbit hole, but I am very kind of interested in mindset anyways. And this is really for me, part of why I'm excited to have you on the show, because you went through the adversity you went through and 
And then you started investing in real estate. We'll get to that in just a second. And, and certainly you've had some adversity along the way. But just who you are, Dave, and, and how I've got to know you a little bit as a, as a member and part of the community, you show up a certain way. And, and what I'm wondering for you is that as you were going through that learning, when did it finally kick into gear and go, okay, now I got to start taking action on this? I think I decided I needed to take action right when when I was in that initial meeting at GF Strong and they told told us that our future was no longer as we see it and we had to re- recreate. I think at that point, you know, I knew I had to take action, but I didn't know at that point what to take action on because I couldn't see any path or potential. So when the real estate book showed up, I knew immediately that, that was the action that I needed to take. It made total sense. I went, well, I still want these dreams. You know, I might not be playing hockey and doing these other things, but I still want a future family and I'm going to need money for that. And I can't rely on a job for that. So real estate was all of a sudden a means to control, be able to take action on and know that I can control all the results myself or a lot of components of it. So, so you went into the education part of it, you know, really, I guess would we call that just sharpening the saw, preparing, getting ready to buy your first property or get your first deal done, learning what you had to do to be able to take that first step. Was that kind of, so the education was in fact you taking action on the first step of what you had to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, after I developed and I, I did all my note taking through the form of an analysis sheet. And once, once that was built and I was confident that, that, you know, it was pretty realistic numbers. As soon as that was done, I, I asked uh, my occupational therapist at the time, can you, I could only walk about maybe 50 feet at this point with a cane kind of wobbly and, you know, holding the cane with one, my only hand. Um, so I, I strung a laptop bag over the side of my shoulder and I asked, I knew the first step was, how am I going to get financing? Well, I already knew from the books I read that residential financing was pretty much out of the question for me because I didn't have a job. So that that, that probably wasn't going to happen. Um, but I did have an existing house and there was still you know, about $100,000 worth of equity in there that I'd bought in, in 02. It's 2005 now. So, so I realized pretty quick that commercial real estate was probably the only way that I could potentially get started in this game. And the first step that all the books recommended was that I picked out of it was, you know, talk, talk to a, a, a mortgage broker or a banker and figure out, you know, what criteria that they need to see to finance a property. So I got my occupational therapist to drop me off at the Royal, Royal Bank, the place I've been going banking for years. And, and I wobbled in there and I asked to talk to the commercial loans manager. And this was too... Take into consideration this was 2005, right? So right. things have changed changed a little bit in the financial landscape after <laughs> I tell this story, you'll recognize. Um, but anyway, I, w- I wobbled into this office, laptop bag over my shoulder with a cane, you know, not looking so hot probably, sat down with the commercial loans manager at RBC and proceeded to tell him pretty much what my life plans were moving forward and how he how he could help contribute to that plan and how it would be beneficial to him, basically. Well done. Um, Well done, Dave. And, uh, you know, nowadays they'd probably just tell you, oh, yeah, good luck, buddy. See you later. But in in that moment, um, the financial world was very much willing to finance things. The markets and stuff were very optimistic. It was about relationship, too. It was really about relationship with the banker. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was the part that I stressed at the time. I did the part that I could. And uh, the banker, I just said, hey, what, 
what type of properties would you like to see land on your desk? What do they look like? What do the numbers look like? And and he went through, I had my analysis sheet, my laptop right, you know, right out in front. And he just went through and I said, okay, what, what kind of cap rate, what kind of debt coverage ratio? What do you use in those numbers? And and he just gave it all to me, spilled it all out. I was like, well, that's easy because my my analysis sheet's way more worst case than your numbers. So if I'm going to buy anything anyway, you're going to finance it all day long the way I get it. And he's like, yep, yeah, okay. So that's when the search began. I started just hopping on the internet and I started with the Sunshine Coast because I was there. Um, I didn't really know at this point how I would actually get to viewing the properties or manage them or anything like that. Step one was to just find find one. So I was really only thinking one step at a time. I ended up finding a few properties on the, in Powell River that kind of met the potential cash flow criteria. There was One was a trailer park, one was a office building with uh, office up top and retail on the bottom and some warehouse space. And another one, there was five cottages on an acreage. So all the numbers worked. I just took those two back to the banker and I said, hey, here's three potentials. What do you think? Which one do you like? And he goes, I like the commercial office building the best. I said, okay, great. So I went down and, well, the next step was Powell River is a ferry ride away from Seashelt. So I had to find a means of getting there. At the same time as this, I'd kind of been educating. While this was going on, I was educating another friend of mine and his wife on kind of what I was doing and where I was planning to go with this. He had, from an injury he had, he had a potential set settlement claim coming that you know, would allow him to contribute in this investment with me. And I thought, hey, what a great opportunity. They have a car. And, uh, you know, could potentially go there and stuff. So the first kind of formulated, our intention was to buy property together. That didn't pan out, but the first joint venture opportunity ended up being just a ride to the property. And, uh, you know, I was, while she was, the wife was taking notes while I was, while I was saying what, what to write and what I saw on each of these places. And, and then I ended up placing an offer at that point. Um, those partners decided not to not to follow through with the deal. So I had to figure out how to how to come up with the money myself. Um, I had it under contract now at this point. I went to the banker at that point and I said, hey, I don't have a down payment for this, but I have some equity in my house in, in Surrey. But I understand, you know, I don't have a job, so I don't know how I can get that. And he goes, well, let me let me see what I can do. So at the time he was, I was actually able to leverage the money out of my my place in Surrey for the down payment on the commercial building because the commercial building would finance the property that I was buying would provide enough income to not only support the the eighty percent debt or seventy five percent debt I think it was but it was able to support the down payment debt as well so so this is a classic case of when we look at even investing today residential versus commercial is that often and given the current conditions going to commercial real estate or going to commercial mortgages based on the fact that the banks are looking at how the property supports the debt, not the individual. And really, you started that process early on in your investment journey. Circumstances created that for you, but that was pretty strong lesson early on in terms of commercial versus residential. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you got this property under your belt and you put the offer in, you got an accepted offer, you got the financing in place and you now own the building. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first one that, that closed in, I think it was February 1st of 2016. And, and during that phase, you know, like 
you don't really know if you're, this is the first investment property I'm doing. So, you know, I'm just following the steps in faith and that it's going to turn out. I don't really know if I'm doing the right thing ultimately or not, but I had to do something. And I had this vision associated with what the future would look like after I read this book. So it just made sense. But all the while I was getting, I would say some doubts from, you know, my parents and other people around me for sure. Like, you know, I just suffered this bad brain injury, right? And and I had proven that a lot of cognitive, I had some cognitive issues and stuff. And and here I am, I'm going from doom and gloom, not being able to figure my way out to all of a sudden one day, super optimistic, all's good, I got a plan, we're, we're fine, right? And this happened literally over the course of an hour to everybody around me, because that's that's how fast it, it, it turned. And, uh, you know, so there was a lot of resistance there. But my parents were actually surprisingly, I say there was resistance, but there was a, there was a lot of support around it, too. I had watched them as they grew up. The, the best moves that they made for their, their future, I think, were the few, few rental properties they bought over the course of their life. And uh, so they knew that that was an avenue that made sense. It was just, what part of, does Dave really know what he's doing here? Is he, I went from, to them, I wasn't buying one property. I was buying one of a hundred or whatever it's going to take to get where I need to go. And I was, I was pretty expressive over that right up front. So they were so very much slow down, slow down, take your time. We're okay with this, but you know, slow down. So, so do you still own that property today by any chance? No, no, I ended up that, that, that property, I planned to own that property till today, but, uh, we had gone through a pretty good boom cycle during that, after that phase. And then I had joined rain in between and I'd seen some of the, I knew a lot more about, you know, economic analysis and the best places to invest and why and all the fundamentals around it. And I, I saw that that market was potentially shifting a little bit on the economics. And uh, that being said, I just decided, you know what, I could probably put my money elsewhere that could pro- provide a better return for the same amount of cash. So I actually sold that. I sold my primary residence at the time. I actually sold the commercial property, my house, and my truck, I think all within, I think it was a two-week period. And here I was, no vehicle, no place to live, and every everybody around me thought I was completely nuts at this point. And, and part, part of me doing that was just to add a little bit more chaos into my life to see if I could handle it because I kind of <laughs> made it. At this point, I kind of appreciate a little bit the the seeds that come along with it. You know, I'd been through a lot. I kind of started getting past some of it, and I like to almost prove that I could, you know, create some chaos and then and get past it. So everybody else just thought, oh, he bought all this investment stuff. He's flat broke and he needs to sell everything now to make do. So I, I moved in. That's fine. I moved in with my buddy for a while. I was looking for another house. I moved in with a buddy after that for about a, it was supposed to be a couple months while I found a place. So I, I got comfortable and it was cheap rent and easy. So I stayed there for a while while I built up at that point, being a member of Rain, I ended up uh, doing lots of, or a few joint ventures in Edmonton, became my, my kind of primary investment place. And I started buying, uh, first, first place in Edmonton was a duplex. And then I moved into three bedroom townhouses from there. And I still own all those properties today. I want to go back and um, as you're going through all of this, Dave, I mean, you're obviously being aware of just mindset. You're kind of sound built that way. Was that something that was instilled in you, in your youth, just by your parents? Were they also entrepreneurial? They, they bought real estate. They owned some rental properties. Were they, were they 
self-employed? Were they entrepreneurs or or not? Yeah, well, I think a part of it was, you know, a good portion of it was already ingrained from our parents and just how to make good choices and how to, you know, stuff like that. They they were definitely entrepreneurial in a in a small town that that we're in. You know, anybody that is doing anything remotely entrepreneurial like is like the entrepreneur, right? So my my dad owned uh he he had built a small convenience store across from the elementary school where we grew up in Seashell. And that was kind of the the gist of his entrepreneurialism, I would say, you know, in growing up. Is he he had built this store and managed it. And over the course of the time growing up, uh, they joint ventured with uh, some family friends of ours and buying a couple other rental properties along the area. Um, so my dad always worked the store and my mom my mom was a nurse and worked the full-time job and allowed to get the financing during that that time for them. So it, I would say it's it was about 50% foundation and then a lot of you know, being who I was and the entrepreneurial stuff came from the books that I read and the the circumstances that I went through. One of the things that, uh, oh, it was a few months back, you made a comment to me. So you've gone through some other adversity. I mean, real estate sometimes throws curveballs and and you, ha- you had gotten into, I think, a deal, and I don't know the, the, the details of it, but you had a deal that went south on you. It was an expensive lesson. And it was a comment that you made to me that was one of the inspirations for me inviting you on the show was just an understanding that you'd hit this roadblock in a particular deal, you'd lost some money, you were kind of shut down by it. So once again, I didn't dig into the details of the story at the time, but are you able to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, So investment wise, like I I was, I was moving along in real estate, buying at Edmonton, things were going really well. I really learned a lot of aspects of intention and creating, you know, things just started showing up for me. You know, I I really learned about the the law of attraction principles and that type of stuff. I was really into it and, and things were, you know, I was, I was, I kind of came out of my, my downward cycle, which was a deep one after my accident, because during, during that phase too, I had um, a friend killed in a car accident. My mom had cancer. I ended up losing. We ended up losing her within that that year. And there was just a lot of bad stuff going on. So, but coming out of that, we I was just able to attract a lot, and things were going really well. And I was focused on real estate. And then as I started making more money in in real estate, you know, building up some capital, and I learned some leverage opportunities and stuff like that. I started. I met some other people along the way. I. I started investing in a in a car dealership. A friend had introduced me to some stuff that he was doing, and uh, I was watching what he was doing. It was it was working really well, so I I started kind of doing the same thing. And I was investing with a a car dealership. It started off with investing in particular cars and getting a return, and then as I developed a little bit more trust in this person over the years, he'd pay me back money when I needed to, you know, on a week's notice and stuff. I ended up it was really easy compared to real estate. You know, real estate. It's it's a great investment vehicle, but uh, it it still takes a lot of work. And uh, I started taking some of the funds and investing a little bit more and more, just giving it to someone else, and he was giving me a high fixed rate return. And it was it was super easy and great, and you know, it was providing cash flow like a really good cash on cash return immediately versus real estate. The cash on cash return, you know, can be marginal for the most part. It's more building for a long term nest egg in the future. Right. Um, so I, I like that balance. I thought I was being responsible 
to my joint venture partners and my family by having a little bit of diversity too against what uh, I know Rain and stuff was, was saying at the time. I kind of thought that I had figured this out this unique way. And in about the eighth year, I went, you know what? I might as well borrow a little bit of equity against my house now too and loan to this guy. So ultimately, I was about $300,000 in. And uh, and then one one day, check check doesn't come in the first of the month. Next month, I'm following up. And he's like, yeah, I'll get it to you soon. Delaying, delaying. And then all of a sudden wasn't making sense. So I took a drive down to the dealership to see that every car on the dealership was gone. It was just gone. And my heart just dropped, you know, all the could have, should have, would have things start coming up. I could have paid for my kid's education. We could have gone on trips, all these other things should invested in real estate, stuck with what I knew and could control, you know, all these things came flooding in. That was kind of my first really devastating financial blow, I could say. And after that, it, uh, you know, I, I met people in rain and heard stories about people that had done similar, similar things or had similar losses. And they all just say, get over it, jump back up on the horse and carry on. Right. But there was really no technique in doing that. Like, great. Yeah, I know that. I know that's what I should do. But unfortunately here I am paralyzed again now mentally. Right. And this is kind of coinciding with as my brain developed and I went through that whole process, I was now, my right part of my brain was being activated a little bit more than what it had in the past. So now my emotions exist, right? And I took this, I think they came back tenfold in this particular situation. And, uh, you know, I felt like the hugest failure to my family ever in that, in that situation. Surprisingly, at that point, my wife I knew she's she's with me for the right reasons because uh, she just said, you know, it's all right. It's just money, whatever. No big deal. It's fine. And I'm like, no big deal. This is like you didn't see the 10 years working up to this. Right. But anyway, uh, that was a blow. And I, I ended up stuck. So let's just dig in on that a little bit, because, you know, as other rain members, real estate investors, uh, you know, for those listening in on this, you know, if they either are going through it. They, you know, the potential to go through it. What was some of the things that, you know, in hindsight now, in reflection, what would you have done differently? To, would you, could you have gotten through it quicker, do you think? Because I know when you spoke to me, it was a really quick, Dave. You probably don't even remember the conversation, but what you realized was that you needed to get back to work. You needed to get over that $300,000 loss and just get on with it and actually get back into investing to overcome the loss and to make up for that loss and to keep going. So was there a moment in time? Was there some, what, what shifted for you and how would you've gotten to it quicker? Do you think if there was a way? Yeah, I'm still kind of reflecting on that as I look back, wondering what I could have done. Like I'm, I'm, I'm re- literally just getting through this now still, like I've just re- gotten momentum in the last couple months where I feel like I'm pushing through this and things are turning around. So I'm not sure that I have all the answers to that yet except for you always just to prevent that from happening, you have to sustain momentum. And I kind of became a little bit complacent. Um, you know, real estate and stuff was going well. I was attracting, I got complacent and I wanted the easy route. You know, I chose the retirement route already. I took my capital, gave it to someone else. I just wanted to live off the interest, right? I probably should have continued on doing what I knew was working. But as for getting over it, I'm not sure I have a clear, good answer for that yet. Other than you're going through it and you're mentally just driving forward. I guess that's also part of the 
resilience and your ability to look at adversity and say, okay, well, the mountain just got bigger again and or more difficult, and you're just going to keep putting one foot in front of you and keep going through it. The thing about you around all of that, Dave, is, I mean, you keep a pretty, your persona or the energy that you bring with it is still one of optimism, even though you've, you know, you've hit the wall and you're, you're feeling stuck. Your mindset around it is, I got to get through it. I'm going to get through it. You don't stop. It, you know, you trip, perhaps, you know, uh, maybe even you feel like you fell, but you're getting back up and you're just going, I'm going to do it. And that's the observation I have around it because you've gone through a lot of things in your life. I mean, you're still a young man and, and you've gone through a lot of things and you, I don't get a sense that there's a part of you that's feeling sorry for yourself at any time. Did you go through a phase of that, by the way, you know, first with the brain injury, do you go through that phase of feeling sorry for yourself? And now you, you know, you hit the wall, you lost 300 grand, uh, got a little bit complacent, you know, stepped over the details. You know, I can certainly share a lot of my own stories where I've done that. But did you, was there a point where you were feeling sorry for yourself or how did you handle that? Do you think? Um, no, I, I, I was lucky to have an awareness that I really didn't, I didn't let that enter my thought process at all. If, if there was a feeling sorry for me, right from the get-go and all my adversities, I've always owned it 100% because, I mean, part of reading all the books you do too about success and so on, you you have to own every aspect of what you do, positive or negative, right? You don't get to enjoy the the fruit unless you, you're taking some of the blows too, and you got to own that. So I, I would never let the the victim mentality of feeling sorry for myself enter at all because I knew it was a mistake that I made. I need to input the correction and move forward. That's what I need to do analytically. It doesn't mean that that's always an easy step to do, right? I, w- I was stuck for, for years going to rain after that a- incident. Things start, you know, something like that happens. And if you don't change your thought process quickly, you start bringing in other issues very quickly. And I, and I did that. I'm not going to get into all of them. But ultimately, you know, $300,000 led to $600,000 and not very long after that. And, uh, and that just makes it that much harder to step out of it. But one one thing I've learned, you know, I knew for certain that there was a seed of opportunity. Like I said, I got I looked in the past before that I looked forward to certain aspects of adversity because I loved the seed of opportunity that came with it. And you know, I almost wanted to go through oper- to adversity sometimes. This is kind of actually what created this to some degree, I think for me. Everything starts with thought. And uh, everything in your life starts with thought. And I caught myself at one point, um, well, the cash flow was coming in really well on the car investment, the property stuff was going well, everything was going easy. And I actually had a realization at home one day that this thought kind of scared me. I went, huh, it's interesting. I can pretty much, I I can have or do anything I want to do right now. There's no limit. But for some reason, I'm just not fully engaged and optimistic and excited about life as I was even when I was going through some of the worst crappy times I just wasn't I wasn't fully appreciating things somebody somebody would get an example you know I'd get a gift from someone for Christmas or whatever and I know I can buy or create or get anything I want so I couldn't even fully appreciate it that's not to downplay that success is important but for some reason I was in that and I was aware of it and I came to the realization that Oh man, I actually, I'm actually happier when I'm going through a little bit of tough times. <laughs> and then I went, oh no, I just thought that. And I'm creating everything that I think right now, right? So I went, 
oh man, I just thought that that's the truth, but I don't want that to happen. The last thing I want to do is I've already graduated that program. The last thing I want to do is go back to kindergarten and have to go through it again. Well, I tried to eliminate that thought from happening, but as you know, you catch yourself sometimes you're going, okay, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. Well, it was too late. I mean, the, the money lost that the disappearance of that money happened within two weeks after that thought. And I feel like I created that. Now, during that time, Dave, were you really ingrained in the community? How was, I'd like to know more about, from your perspective, how has Rain supported you through being part of Rain? How has that been able to support you through some of these challenges along the way? Was it part of the community? Was it, I'll, I won't put words in your mouth. What was it that kind of drove that for you? How, how did that work for you? Well, um, the initial, you know, getting set forth with joint venture partners and, and, that step up in real estate investing really came from from rain there was there's so many people in there that they give you all the tools that you need to to know what to do and there's so many surrounding people that are doing it and you know they line you up with all the all the professionals and the contacts that do what you need to do so that was the first basis and actually now that you bring rain up you know when when i was stuck yeah you know, i'd go to rain and you know my shoulders would be I, it might not have come across. I'd try and fake it like everything's okay, even though I'd tell you what's going on. <laughs> one conversation I had with Don one time, I was feeling the ultimate low at a rain meeting. And I told Don, like, oh, I'm like, oh, man, the, the Edmonton recessions hit me real hard. And overall, well, my other losses mostly and a little bit real estate um, that I've had to invest into some properties and rentals recently. I'm, you know, I'm 600K in. Oh, my God, when's this going to end? <laughs> And he's like, he just kind of snickered at me like, no big deal. In normal life, I tell that to someone in my day job or whatever, and they're like, oh, my God, like you're a complete failure. Oh, Dave's at rock bottom. This is it, right? And Don just kind of shrugs his shoulders. He goes, so how you doing after saying this? And I'm like, all right, how about you? <laughs> and I realized how, you know, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Even though these things had happened, it really wasn't impacting my life. My, my relationships were still strong. Um, I could dig myself out of it. Ultimately, it really didn't matter. It was just a temporary situation. And that I realized, you know, everything's temporary. Failures are temporary if you keep moving forward. And I came to that realization from that and other people at Rain. And I think on one of the um, Acre meetings, I was talking to Mitch, Mitch Collins, and and I was sharing some of my mistakes to some new members just for laughs and to scare them a little bit. <laughs> and uh and Mitch start, goes, yeah, I just wrote a $400,000 check yesterday for a problem that wasn't even mine. And, I, you know, we kind of gave a fist bump and laughed about it. And But, you know, these are things that these are things that you go through and they're just they're temporary and you got to look at the long term plan. And Rain, they were a big part of pulling me out of this. The members within Rain, I would say mostly like a big part of pulling me out of this uh, being stuck recently. I, I, I started hanging out with Derek a little bit more guys that are just so in faith and optimistic all the time you know yeah you, you can't help but start doing stuff when you're hanging out with people like that Derek Peaver and sure other rain members you know you know you make an interesting point a, a, a moment ago that I picked up on Dave which is to say that when we look at life in general I mean we have all these areas of our life from family and our vocation and our health and you know our emotional health our spirituality and all of the things that we have going on and we can look at real estate or a problem that we have financially and paint our whole picture, our whole life's picture as bleak and, and black and dark. When really, if you 
look at your life and take that financial harsh or hardship off the table, life is actually awesome. You know, you've got a great relationship with your wife, your kids, you've got friends, you've got health, you've got all of the things that you've got going on and the financial pressure that you're feeling or the financial eye of the needle that you're going through does not define your life. It's just one part of your life. And I get that it's big and it's emotional and mentally stretching and harsh, but you know, 35 years in business, I still can't sometimes believe how much I go through the financial pressures and in real estate, economies happen, governments happen, banks happen. So you seem to have been able to kind of segment that out and get to going, you know, when you had that conversation with Don, for example, it's like, no, actually life's good. And, and I got a sucky thing going on with real estate right now. Yep. So you've gotten over that part of it, or you're going through it right now. You're used rain, the community to kind of hang out with some people. It's, it's always cool to be in a, a community of like-minded people. What is some of the stuff that you're pushing yourself to do now to kind of overcome the 600 grand or whatever the number is in terms of makeup? Are you just really getting down, getting dirty in terms of reinvesting? Are you joint venturing? What's some of the stuff that you're doing now, Dave? Um, so over the last couple months, I've done three joint ventures with another Rain member and uh, move, move, moving forward in that regard from I'm doing some super or fully furnished houses with, with Derek. Uh, we got a couple going on in Chilliwack and one in Cloverdale. And I'm moving forward on that where it goes from there. Right now, what's what's most important to me is just creating momentum. What it is, as long as it contributes to the end goal, it doesn't really matter how big or how small it is, or ultimately that's something I want to do forever. The biggest thing that I need to do is create moment, positive momentum. So that that's all about what I'm trying to do right now. And then sustaining it's the next step that I've realized is a really important thing. As soon as you stop momentum, it's really hard to get going again. Just like you know, you're going to the gym regularly and all of a sudden you stop for a week and how hard is it to go back again, right? After it's easy when you're in it and you have a habit, but same thing with, with investing. So um, right now I'm just looking to push through in, in any avenue that I can that makes sense, whether it be myself or joint ventures. I haven't defined exact, well, there's a lot of good stuff going on right now in, uh, in Chilliwack market that that's kind of, we're getting some momentum on. So We'll see where that goes and open to other things. So so when you look at um, where you've come, what you've come through, what you're coming through and and what you're doing, Dave, you know, is there is there some lessons that you would want to share with people listening in in terms of what you've learned in the adversity that you faced? I mean, you've come through some pretty dramatic stuff in your lifetime. Uh, you've had a great family support, you know, early on to get it through, and I'm sure it continues but when it comes to the challenges that real estate investors can sometimes face or or business owners can sometimes face, is there some takeaways that you have? I mean, certainly don't be a victim. You know, take responsibility for everything that goes on in your life, good, bad, or indifferent. I, I think those are really important lessons for anybody that you, you shared with us. But is there anything specific that you don't think you said that you would really want to make sure people picked up on? When it comes to adversity tips, first one I learned that I kind of, I had naturally but it's a good thing to have is to, if possible, find humor in the situation. If you're laughing or just able to find humor in any situation, even your own downsides, um, it has a tendency to create a positive energy that can help 
create momentum in that that positive direction. Perspective is always a strong one, which Rain talks a lot about. You know, like when when I lost, when I had my big 300k loss from that investment, perspective came into handy there a little bit because you go, oh my god, I lost three hundred thousand dollars, and and from what? From the peak. But if I look back to five years before that, I had nothing. So I lost, I lost 300 of whatever, you know, and, uh, and I'm still, so I actually broke even if anything, you know, right. so I didn't, you can look at that, but I had a tendency to look at the highest I'd ever been, the best I'd ever been. And I'm comparing it to that now. And, uh, that should be a good thing to drive you. But if you can get caught up emotionally in those types of things, it's not really a loss. Um, one one interesting perspective I learned really on early on after my accident at GF Strong. This is kind of a a silly one that isn't probably very nice, but anyway, my my brother was pushing me in a wheelchair out in the outside of GF Strong, and I didn't really know where life was going at this point. And my brother has this innate ability to find humor in anything, and he goes, "Hey, Dave. Well, it's not all that bad. You could be that guy." And he just points at some other guy, the guy, just a normal guy that isn't all that attractive, right? And it just created, it just <laughs> got us laughing, and uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, it just changes changes your energies a little bit. So remember that to was laugh. Both pers- yeah, yeah, per- that was perspective and humor all in one. Um, one thing I learned early on that served me quite well, and I've learned a lot more about after listening to one of your podcasts. Somebody had suggested. Um, reading the book by Napoleon Hill. Um, Think and Grow Rich. No, Outwitting the Devil. I, I oh. actually, I, re- I read Think and Grow Rich. That was one of the, you know, cornerstone things in positive thinking that I learned years ago. But uh, one thing I've been really struggling with when I was stuck, you know, I couldn't get out of my thoughts. How do I move forward? Well, I forgot to mention this earlier, but Outwitting the Devil was the thing that got me recognizing every single thing about my thoughts and what I needed to do to get, get past my, my being stuck. One thing he stressed on a lot was to be aware of, of what your thoughts are. You have to keep them on the positive trail and not negative. And of course, Napoleon Hill said in Thinking Grow Rich and that book that there's a seed of equal or greater opportunity within every adversity. That was kind of just reassurance that that was something I kind of already knew somehow, but, uh, but he really stressed that. So, and to just be very aware of your thoughts and just monitor your thoughts closely all the time. You have to be almost looking at your thoughts like a third person. I I kind of visualize myself as, you know, I'm sitting above my body, looking down, I'm monitoring my own thoughts from a third party to make sure that they're, they're serving in a way that, you know, makes sense in the direction I want to go. So there's a deeper question to that, right? And we will go off on the tangent, but the question is, who is the thinker of the thoughts? Wayne Dyer shared that question years ago in a book. And who is the thinker of the thoughts? You've said it, you know, I'm observing my thoughts. Well, who's observing your thoughts? Who is the thinker of the thoughts? It's a kind of a cool uh, spin on managing how we think. Well, who's managing how we think? You know, what part of yeah. us is? So it's kind of cool, interesting conversation. What are you reading these days, Dave? What's, what's your recent book? I mean, do you read a lot? I was reading a lot when things are going well, I'm reading a lot or when I'm reading a lot, things go well. Um, when they're not, when I'm not, they don't seem to be going as well. So when I was stuck looking back now, huh, I wasn't reading. I couldn't even muster up the energy to though. I couldn't even believe enough to think that it would make a difference. 
which was weird. Now I've just set forth on reading it. The, the first book that I just read recently was Outwitting the Devil again. And that answered every question that I needed to 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 get past being stuck and uh, just be that much more aware of my thoughts, which was really cool. And so thanks for that, because I know you you had talked about that on one of your other shows. That's great. Um, I always like to hear that the show has an impact. Now, give me a little bit of update. Are you physically, you know, I've watched your evolution physically, just in terms of observation, your ability to walk and how you present yourself has all developed and changed and gotten significantly better over the years. So that's really cool. Fun to see that happening for you. What are you doing? Do you have a routine around working out training? I mean, it sounds like when you're a younger man that sports was a big part of your life and training, working out. What is it these days? Are you fairly physical? Do you have a routine where you're uh, working out and doing that kind of work, Dave? Yeah, I, I try and maintain that as with, I think most people and no different. I have, I have a lot more things that I have to work on. Sure. Um, but you know, working out just one of them to stay fit, look good, keep the heart going. Well, there's a million other rehab type exercises I, I could or should do too, but aren't really realistic. So I, I tend to focus more on just the general health of just going to the gym to, you know, maintain good cardiovascular and, and, and strength. Right. Um, so Sometimes I'm on, sometimes I'm, you know, uh, I, I was on a really good routine, but, and then uh, I took a trip on some stairs a couple months ago and uh, bruised a couple ribs, and that took me out of the game for a bit, and and then I went back after a couple months, and I jumped right back in trying to make up for all of the last few months doing it, injured myself again, <laughs> so now I'm just kind of overcoming that and have to recreate that habit again. So we'll have to see what that looks like. It's, it's, it's interesting because what used to work for you, you know, you, I always go to the gym at four or after work or whatever it is. You always have to reflect whether it's, you know, the times where, where it's best to position it time-wise with what's going on in your life. You know, things change. I have kids now and a dog that I have to walk. That's a new thing. And that's always a, a challenge against working out is now it seems to become, especially in the fall when it's dark, right? It's like either I take the dog for the walk or I go to the gym with the remaining couple hours I have outside of my day job. So it's interesting. It goes back to what you said though earlier is that momentum is, is interesting because when you fully stop, it's hard to regain momentum. But if you keep at least moving forward a little bit, especially in a health and wellness kind of routine, a little is better than nothing and isn't as much as you would want to do, but at least by keeping that momentum going, you can ramp up and not coming from a full stop. And I think that's a really cool insight because, you know, I'm no different than anybody. I, I mean, I train a lot and I'm, you know, I, I work out on a regular basis, part of my routine, but I ebb and flow. And I do notice that I don't ever fully stop. I always need to do some kind of physical activity and I try and do it almost every day. So whatever it is, even if it's a 15 or 20 minute you know, workout or cardio or something that keeps, you know, blood going, energy going, a full stop, I can see is hard to get that momentum going again. So I think it's a really cool point. One comment I wanted to add on to on the adversity comment, every adversity comes with a, with the same common choice, every single one, no matter what it is. And the things I've noticed is it's either the perfect excuse for giving up and self-pity as number one, or you have, it's a perfect opportunity to become an example of inspiration to help other people. Those are the two things I think every single adversity, no matter how big or small it is, have in common. That's a uh, interesting point you make. And one is when you're focused on yourself, that's where the self-pity can shut you down. 
And when you focus on what it is about others and you take the focus off yourself, that you could actually gain the inspiration and the excuse to do it as opposed to the excuse to not do it. Good heads up on that one. So Dave, as we kind of wind down on the show, of course, I would be remiss not to uh, entertain the rapid fire questions that I like to put my guests through for some fun and a little bit of entertainment. You ready for that? Sure. What's your favorite swear word? Ah, fuck. That's without a doubt. That's the most popular, but there's been some good ones. What profession other than what you're doing right now would you want to do? Profession? I, I, I love helping other people. I don't know in what way that would work for me, but I've kind of been just trying to discover what that is for me for a while. But job-wise, I couldn't see myself ever changing jobs for another employment-style job, if, if you mean it that way. Well, whatever it is for you. Cool. On a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you? Um, I would say that I'm a... Uh, I'm a 10 to other people and a three for myself, in my opinion, but. <laughs> That's great. You got a high opinion of yourself. That's awesome. What are you not very good at? Uh, what am I not? Finding stuff. Um, looking for, th- my wife will go tell me to grab something or whatever. I, I suck at that kind of stuff. I really don't like searching for things in general. <laughs> What's one of the most impactful books that you've read? Real Estate Investing in Canada. And... The brain that changes itself, mm. I think. Sure. Room, desk, or your car? What do you clean first? Car. Always. What's your favorite uh, What's your favorite tune? Not sure that I have a favorite tune. I, I, I jump from country to 90s hip-hop, so it, it, really, it really depends. Do you have a favorite movie? Well, Braveheart and... What's that jailbreak movie of the 90s with... Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption is my number one. Braveheart would be number two. Cool. What are you grateful for? Grateful for my family. I. Uh, this is probably my favorite question because at the end of an interview, I'm always grateful for the guest on the show and what I've picked up and learned along the way and for you taking the time. It also gives me a moment to get grounded in what I'm grateful for. I'm just grateful for a a blessed life. I'm always, always grateful for my health and for the relationships that I have. And Dave Toynbee, thank you so much for being on the show today. Lots of lessons in there. I love the fact that you look at adversity the way you look at it. I think it's a perspective that many people listening today can actually look at what they've got going on and say, how are we going to take on this adversity? And it is a place of not feeling sorry for yourself and just getting on with it. And it's not easy, but get supported. Hopefully the rain community and for some of the listeners will be something that makes sense and realize that you got to tap into that energy of the community. And for those others that are just, listening to the show because they enjoy the show it is really about getting support and not not going it alone is what i hear from you as well so thanks again dave appreciate your time and your energy my friend anytime thank you patrick ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening if you found value in the podcast please take the time to rate and review and share with others share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, 
If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.